Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Hi, this is Pat Iyer, and this is Writing to Get Business. Our show focuses on interviewing successful authors to talk about the process of writing books and how books fit within their business plans and their business structure. I have with me Randy Gage, who I've met many years ago through National Speakers Association. He invariably comes into a room and shakes up the room with his take on the world and his expertise in speaking and marketing and a variety of other topics. Randy, welcome to the show. Hey, Pat. Great to be on with you. Thank you. Now, the, we're here to talk about your newest book, Radical Rebirth, but I know that that's not your first or even second book. Where does that fit in the lineup of the books that you've written so far? That is book number 14. Mm. And I feel that it's the culmination of all my work. I feel like it is the one that kind of pulls it all together because the topic of, you know, as you might imagine from the title, it's, it's really about how to kill off the old you and create to move into your next level of influence, your next level of achievement, your next level of enlightenment. So it could be a case where you hate yourself, you hate your life, as I did many years ago, and realized, hey, I don't have to kill myself. I can kill off the parts of me I don't like. Hopefully, none of your listeners or viewers are in that spot. They're more in the spot of, hey, I like myself. I like my life. But I feel like there's another uh, level or two up, I can go on the journey to becoming a higher version of myself. So, you know, I've done some books on prosperity. I've done uh, books on personal development, spiritual matters, and this kind of ties it all together. I know from reading your book that you've gone through phases where you've changed significant aspects of your life to go from one position to another. What led you to write this book at this point in your life? I feel, I gotta tell you, I have, and I, I hate to say this, I, I had another friend kill himself last Friday took off, jumped off a building. They identified him by his fingerprints. It's probably the sixth or seventh friend I know who have taken their lives. There's so much depression out there. There's so much mental illness out there. Um, there's so much low self-esteem. 
as you know, the, the, the kind of the big basis or the, the crux of my work is prosperity. And this book really kind of crystallized for me the, the, the direct connection between self-esteem and happiness, harmony, prosperity. And I just feel like somebody's got to talk about this. Somebody's got to get that message out there that, uh, and if you look at what's going on with the 24 seven cable news networks and social media, there's just so much divisiveness and hate speech and judgment and it's not a healthy thing. And um, we've got to learn how to be more discerning, how to process that kind of information, how to weed through it, how to put up a force field around ourselves uh, uh, to protect against that. And so I just felt like, I don't know that I had all those objectives when I started writing the book, but I, I just felt like I had something that needed to be said and people needed to hear. And I had to write the book, you know, that I think the, the best books you write are the ones you, you have no choice. You have to write them. I have heard people talk about books that are just bursting to get out of them, which is what I'm hearing you say, that this was a message that you felt driven to share. And you yeah. started the book in, during the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe yeah. that's an incorrect assumption, but you finished oh, I think it in November. Yeah, right around that time. Maybe I was, I was kind of conceptualizing a little before, but the bulk of the writing was early on in the pandemic. And uh, just the pandemic has made all of that more relevant. It just made the topic of your podcast more relevant to everyone. The, you know, the idea of writing for business, uh, I would just I'd say we can make it even bigger and say it's writing for success, writing for success in life. Because if I look at my career and what I've been able to do, and if I, if you said, Gage, what's the skill set for you? What really puts you over the top? I would say it's my ability to write. And I was chatting about this with Stephen Pressfield. I did a podcast with him maybe two weeks ago. And what he was in, he was on my podcast and I was saying, to my listeners, listen to this guy, learn about writing, even if you never want to write a book. It's just such a critical skill for success. Because even if you never want to write a book, if you have the ability to write an email to eight people in the executive committee and really summarize a position and say, this is what we need to do as an organization. And here's why we need to do this. And here's what's going to be the result when we do this. This is what makes you valuable when you can put together a PowerPoint deck and, and have a meaning for it other than fill in time in a meeting. But like, okay, I have this message that it's really important for me to convey. And I think the thing, and I'm sure you see this all the time in your work with your clients, uh, 
writing forces you to think things through at a higher level because it requires you to things that you could say in a speech, you know, I'm a professional speaker, so I can do a keynote and I can crush it. And the audience was crazy about it. And I got a standing ovation and the client is happy and they rebook me again. And I'm just like, man, I killed that thing. But then I can look at a transcript of it and say, oh man, how did I, I jumped from point A to point D, and then I went back to B, and that doesn't, you can, you can tie those bows together when you're doing a speech easier. You can say, which is why I was talking earlier about blah, 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 right? When you put that in writing, it jumps off the page. Like, wait a minute, how did, how did she go from here to here? She jumped the shark here, there's, there's something missing. Um, so the ability to write uh, coherently, logically, rationally, uh, follow a train of thought, you know, communicate a concept, got to be one of the most valuable, not just business skills, but life skills in, in, in life. You're right. It transcends all areas. Uh, one of the people I interviewed on this show was a ghostwriter who writes love letters and please forgive me letters for people who are inarticulate and want to convey a message. And that is her business. I bet it's a big business. (laughs) I bet it's a big business because there, I mean, people just don't know how to write today. Right. And, and even I got two different emails today. Both of them were the same that, you know, very educated people in, positions of authority, uh, you know, credibility, who don't know the difference between their T-H-E-R-E and T-H-E-I-R and apostrophe R-E and two two T-W-O and T-O-O. I mean, two today, right? That, and I'm a high school dropout. Okay, so if I'm the high school dropout and I'm critiquing your grammar, (laughs) we've got an issue here (laughs) because you have a MBA and I got expelled in the ninth grade. And how come your email is setting off alarm bells with me? So, yeah, I would, you know, the I bet that client of yours does really well because um, people will when you get the ability to communicate in writing, you have one of the most lucrative skills in the world. Mm-hmm. Going back to the subject of your book, you talked about the six major areas in which our, our uh, philosophies, our programming is influenced by means. <coughs> Excuse me. Can you go into those areas? Yeah, I just feel like you got to look at the big picture stuff. What is the stuff that really impacts your life? Does it really matter that you love Hillary and the people who follow you on Facebook love Trump or you love Trump and those people? I mean, is that really going to be what you're thinking about on your deathbed? Is that really going to be what you're thinking about as you plan your future is who you're going to unfollow? The big picture stuff 
<clears throat> What's your view of money and success? Your philosophy of life on money and success, health and wellness, God and religion, sex and sexuality, uh, marriage and relationships. So I looked at, you know, I broke down what I think are the six <clears throat> most important areas in your life. And then I looked at the mind viruses, <clears throat> the memes, the actual mind viruses that are prevalent in the world today in each of those areas. So if we take, uh, um, and, and I, what I'll show people in the book, and I will prosecute the case and show you that your core beliefs in all those areas are probably formed before you're eight years old. If your parents argue all the time, if one is abusive, if one cheats on the other, your core foundational beliefs about marriage and relationships are set in concrete by the time you're eight years old. And you, you say, are you telling me I'm blowing up my marriage at 35 because of a belief I developed at six? And yeah, that's what I'm saying. And you're saying, are you telling me I'm self-sabotaging myself and I'm getting passed up for a promotion when I'm 48 years old because of a belief I developed about money and success when I was six or seven? And that's exactly what I'm saying. If you look at the prevalent programming, like money and, and success, you know, what are the prevalent mind viruses? Money is bad. Rich people are evil. It's spiritual to be poor. You have to sell your soul to be successful. If you want a successful company, you've got to exploit workers and plunder the environment. If you want to be successful in the corporate world, you've got to be a bad parent. This is in, it, it, it's programming that people get brainwashed with at a very early age. And until you get somebody like me, something like my book, some other wake up call that gets you to say, wait a minute, let me just, let me question my core. Let me analyze my core foundational beliefs. And give you an example, you know, I, I started a prosperity ministry, for-profit ministry that I'm doing every Saturday. I do a live stream and then I rebroadcast it on Mondays on my podcast and my YouTube channel. And um, so last week I gave people assignments. I want them to, and every week I give them assignment, but the assignment this week was to create a million dollar Monday meaning you just pick a day. It doesn't have to be a Monday. You say, I'm going to live like a millionaire. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to give myself the, because I was talking about how many people are, are limited. They, they suffer from poverty consciousness, which was the topic of the lesson that week. Mm -hmm. And so I've got an email in my box from a uh, person in my coaching program, uh, who's trying to do this <clears throat> and the the most lavish thing he could come up with was to buy a new pair of sneakers for himself because he needs them and i'm like this is not going to shock your sensibility <laughs> this is not you know and you i'll see this other times with people like okay well then i'd give a million dollars to the make a wish foundation and i'd give a million dollars to the boys club of new jersey and a million okay wait 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 what would you do for yourself 
and they can't come up with anything because they've got worthiness issues that aren't being addressed. And that's what my client has in this case today. He's so riddled with worthiness issues. He, he can't even, I mean, you should, if I say, listen, Pat, if money is no object, if you, if you had Elon Musk's level of money, what are five things you would do today just to splurge on yourself? If money was no object, most people in 30 seconds would say, wow, I'd charter a jet and I'd fly to Paris for dinner. I'd buy a ski lodge at Vail. I would, uh, you know, this guy's telling me he'll upgrade his sneakers. <laughs> That's the kind of, uh, of, you know, until you're forced to challenge the programming, you don't even know it's there because it's all at a subconscious level. If you ask anybody, hey, do you want to be wealthy? Any sane person would say, well, yeah, if I had a choice of being rich or being poor, I'd rather be rich. But they don't even recognize they have subconscious programming that tells them rich people are evil. So when they start to become rich, they self-sabotage themselves because subconsciously they don't want to be an evil person. And they, they have no idea that this is happening. So if these beliefs are set in concrete or in granite, then your book is arguing that you have the capability of breaking that up, taking that belief and pulverizing it. The last time I went to India with my husband, we saw women sitting on the side of the road under a little shade with little hammers and they were literally creating gravel by striking the stone with their little hammer. And they sat outside all day doing this. <clears throat> Surely there's got to be a shortcut in terms of taking that block of concrete and turning it into a new way of thinking. What do you recommend for people who say, you know, I do have these limiting beliefs or self-fulfilling prophecies and they get the insight to recognize them. And that's not always possible. Point A doesn't always lead to point B. How can they take the information that's in your book and move into a healthier way of living? And I know I'm putting a value judgment when I call healthier. What is your advice in that situation? Uh, <clears throat> what I do in the book is take them through the process. And when I say I prosecute the case, I mean I prosecute because they've got to recognize they are being programmed 24 hours a day, seven days a week by government, the education system, organized religion, and what I call the data sphere, TV, movie, radio, operas, plays, social media, the television shows you watch. And as you know, because you've seen the book, I mean, I say, okay, let's, it doesn't matter what generation you are. I will tell you what was the, the pop culture of your day? What were the blockbuster movies? What were the television shows? What were the best selling books? You know, what were the best songs on the, you know, the favorite songs on the radio? And then I break down the subliminal messages in those. And so we talk about Spider-Man and Batman and Superman movies. And we talk about MASH and 
Beverly Hills 90210 and Dallas and Dynasty and Succession and Game of Thrones and Billions and uh, the books, the, the Puccini operas, the, the, um, the memes from, from 2000 years ago, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey, stuff that was in classic literature, Shakespeare. Uh, and, and you just realize, oh my God. So I, I don't realize, but man, I, I look at my Spotify playlist and now if I take the lyrics in these songs, Oh my God. And man, I love rom-coms. And now I realize, wow, every rom-com is a story of the woman who is dating the rich guy who has everything. And she really wants to date the poor guy who's true love because the rich guy is vapid and superficial. And, uh, you know, and then I, I show the, the songs, you know, the, uh, what was the, I don't know, it was a group Shenandoah or who it was, you know, Half of downtown Atlanta, all I can give her is the moon, right? So even if you don't know that song, you know that song because that's the that's the outline of every rom-com made in the last 30 years. <laughs> so you realize, wow, there are these themes that are just assaulting me. The plays I go to, the operas that I watch, the the, the music on my playlist. And so you, you first, you got to recognize the limiting beliefs, the negative programming. Then you got to blow them up. You got to, and then I take them through that process. Let's show you why this is not true. That money, it's true. Money doesn't buy happiness, but can we also agree? Poverty doesn't buy happiness. It does not, no. So that kind of cancels that out. So we, we can't say, okay, money doesn't buy happiness. That's the reason why we don't want money. No, because poverty doesn't buy happiness either. So let's look for a more empowering belief. And now we say, well, money and material things allow me the creative expression, which can make me happier. Well, now we've got uh, an empowering belief that we can reinforce in our subconscious mind. But then we got to realize if we're going to watch Succession on HBO tonight or Billions on Showtime tonight, we're going to get more of that negative programming that rich people are evil, dastardly, mean, conniving, despicable people. And we got to recognize that. So like for me, I can't, I love the show uh, Billions. The acting is brilliant. The writing is brilliant. So I can enjoy that show and at the same time recognize, wow, the level of anti-wealth programming that I'm getting, you know, I'm susceptible to here is off the chart. So you recognize that and recognition is really what neutralizes it when you recognize, you know, it's like when you're, you're in a manipulative relationship and they pull the same old crap and you say, okay, no, no, no. We've played this game before. I know exactly how you're trying to manipulate me. This isn't going to work this time, right? You, you you end up doing the same thing with the the movies, the plays, the songs, uh, and that takes the power away from them. And then you know the last chapters of the book. I'm I'm, I'm taking you through how to reverse engineer the process and go back and change 
the original program. So now you mindfully curate the programming that you receive. You say, okay, I'm going to listen to Gage's Power Prosperity podcast two episodes a week because I know that's going to counter-program what I'm getting with Game of Thrones and Succession, you know, uh, and I'm going to read positive books and that will uh, counter-program those romance novels I'm reading or those uh, spy thrillers I'm reading. And so you curate the programming, which changes your vision. Your vision changes your daily actions. And your daily actions are what change your life. We like to say, oh, you know, I create my own destiny, but you don't really create your destiny. You create your daily habits. And then your daily habits create your destiny. And some would argue that by changing your habits, you can work your way up to the top that you just described. Do you believe that you can change your habits and then that will change your perspective and then that will change your vision? Or do you have to start from the top of recognizing the need for a change and then working through that ladder to the point where you're changing your habits? Well, you do have to start with recognizing you need to change, recognizing that you have been brainwashed. There is, in the book, I talk about the matrix, the real matrix, not the one in the movie. The real matrix is, which we're all living in, is all the marketers, all the storytellers, all of the entertainment. Now they've been, they've been magnified through social media and 24-hour television and 600 cable channels to choose from and 8 trillion podcasts to choose from and 89 trillion blogs to choose from. And so everything's on, you know, hyper, hyper loop, hyper whatever. And um, so we have all of this programming and we've got to recognize that, okay, this is not positive programming. Now this programming has been manipulated by marketers who hire PhD, uh, brilliant people, psychologists. They put people in labs and they study their eye movement when they look at a advertisement, at a banner on a web page. And then we have artificial intelligence and machine learning, which recognize, okay, so when we put this uh, alert on Patricia's phone, she immediately clicked on it and went to that website. So now we know she has an interest in ABC. So now we're going, and the machine learning does this automatically. This is why so many people are brainwashed today. So many people are down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories today because they don't even realize they're being pulled like a puppet. That's what I call the new matrix, that the marketers, the algorithms, the machine learning, the artificial intelligence, um, it's all working. To, and nobody owns it. There's not some evil, sinister uh, guy with a monocle and a little dog who's the villain like a James Bond movie. Nobody owns this. But the truth is, if you're unsure about your sexuality, Amazon already knows what your sexuality is. You may not know if you're pregnant, but Instacart would know 
based on the groceries you've been buying for the last three months. That chocolate chip Breyers ice cream, that just is the flag gets you every time. <laughs> right. Yeah, so they know more about you than you know about yourself, than your spouse knows about you, than your parents know about you. It's, it's, now, they don't tell you that. You're never going to get a message from Instagram that says, hey, we think you're probably pregnant, so you might want to buy this because same thing, Amazon isn't going to say, hey, you know, we think you're probably uh, recognizing that you're gay. So you may be interested in this video or this, right? Because they, if you knew how much they knew about you, you would be furious and you would cut them off in a second, mm -hmm. right? But that's the reality. That's the matrix. So um, you've got to be hypervigilant. You know, the, in the, the analogy is you're down there on the planet trying to defend your planet. There's a death star you know, directing its beam on you to try to blow up your planet. And you're sitting down on the surface with a steak knife trying to defend against the Death Star. That's the level of the competition that you're dealing with today. And um, so, yeah, you, you, but you still, you know, I, uh, one of the things I tell people in the book, hey, if you're reading this and you're not in prison, you're not in a halfway house, a rehab center, or a jail, or a, a, you know whatever. You're you're doing amazing. <laughs> the fact that you're still functioning with all of the odds stacked against you, you've done brilliantly. Let's let's take it the rest of the way. Let's let's get you crafting your life. Let's get you moving to the highest possible version of yourself, as opposed to being manipulated down to the most basest version of yourself, which is what the matrix and the algorithms are going to do if you allow them. Well, and there is one solution that I've used in my own life, which is to shut myself off from the news, from watching movies, from looking at TV. We don't own a television in our house. I can't tell you the last movie that I saw, but I did get sucked in in the months leading up to the election at the time you were writing the book and we were in monthly communication through the coaching program that you offer. And I discovered that my anxiety level went up. I was informed, but there is an addictive quality to being informed. I had an app on my phone called Smart News. And after a while, I realized that my Smart News was making me anxious and upset and telling me every time there was another story that I needed to follow. So I took the app off. I realized I had to limit the amount of time that I spent looking at the news. And it is considerably calmer since January 20th. But that sense of needing to be informed all the time carries a price that I didn't recognize I was paying. And I think many people who are caught up in, oh, I have to know what's going on, don't realize the negative impact of that data sphere that's influencing their mood and their sense of well-being. They don't recognize it. They have no idea, most people. They're oblivious to it. And it is, they're, the, the, 
the mental health studies that are going to be conducted on this last two years of our existence are just going to, they're going to be mind blowing. The, because the media, even the journalists, the real journalists who believe in journalism and believe in the greater good, they can't help it. They still have to operate in a clickbait world. If you're an anchor on a news network and you get low ratings, they fire you. It's just the way it is. So you need to have high ratings. Otherwise, you're not going to keep your show. You're not going to, if, if, if you're a, a reporter for the Chicago Tribune or the LA Times or the Washington Post or the Examiner, if you, if a lot of people don't click on your story on the website, they're just going to let you go in the next round of layoffs. Because they're going to say, you're not really relevant to our readers. Nobody's reading your stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can't even help it. You recognize. So if you write a story and the headline is 99% of COVID vaccinations are successful. Nobody reads that story. But if you say there's a new variant from UK or South Africa, and scientists don't know if the vaccines will be, uh, you know, effective against that variant, people got to click on that. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I finally got my appointment. I got my vaccination in three weeks. And now are, are they saying the vaccination isn't going to work? They just, you know, or the headline is, you know, look at the, right now is the time we're recording this. The AstraZeneca vaccine has been uh, suspended for use in like 10 or 12 European countries. So that's the headline. AZ, you know, suspended, side effects, don't know. If it's, so I'm like, wow, let me, let me double click on this. What is going on with this virus, you know, with this vaccine? So I read a story, 30 people had increased blood pressure or heart rate or whatever, and one person died tragically. That's horrible. But then I say, where in this story does it, if we're talking about Germany and, you know, there was like 10 different countries. I'm like, how many vaccinations were given in those 10 countries? Is that 10 million? Is it 20 million? So are we saying we gave 20 million vaccines and 30 people had a side effect and one fatality. When we know that if we gave 30 million people a, a, a bag of peanuts, five of them would die and 500 would have a side effect because they have peanut allergies, right? But nowhere was that context in the story. There was a story that went viral around the world, Jerusalem Post uh, in Israel newsletter newspaper headline was I took the COVID vaccine and I got COVID anyway. Right. I saw that. Yeah. So you click, you double click on that. And then the story is filled with, well, scientists don't know that it may be possible that there are people who take the vaccine and they still catch COVID, you know, and then down after the whole article, there's a little asterisk and in 10 point italic type, it says the author did not actually contract COVID-19. 
Yet they had the cojones to put that headline. I took the vaccine and I got COVID anyway. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unconscionable. And, that's, and how many people got influenced against the vaccine because they saw that headline? Yeah. And that's what those alerts you're talking about. That's what those alerts have to trumpet. And that's what I'm trying, the awareness I'm trying to create for people is to recognize that, that even reliable, centrist, well-meaning news organizations, they're doing this and they don't even know they're doing it. The thing about mind viruses is they parasitize the host and cause you to replicate the mind virus. Mm. You know, if you hear the baby shark tune and then you hum it in the elevator, you've just infected that mind virus to the other three people in the elevator. Now they got that song in their head. This is what happens with these mind viruses about, you know, the fear based, the disease is going to kill you. The vaccination is going to kill you. It's a secret plot. There's cell phone towers. They're putting microchips in your body. They're biologically altering your DNA. I mean, it's just cray cray stuff. But once you click on the first one, your the machine algorithms are going to give you another one and another one. And mm-hmm. you know, I put a shot on my, you know, took a picture of my Facebook page. I got my first dose of the vaccine. So I put it up. And if I read the comments under that picture, I'm like, I, these are intelligent, successful people in important jobs who are functioning in society. And they're telling me that I got a microchip implanted through the syringe somehow, and I don't realize it. They're telling me I've been biologically altered now and I'm gonna be an alien. I mean, these are, because they've gone down the rabbit hole of the programming. Oh, that's astounding. Now, you know, and this isn't to say everybody has to take the vaccine. Listen, you may have, you may have said, well, no, I've really studied this issue. And I looked and I, I didn't feel like there was enough research. It came to market so quickly. I have some reservation. A critical thinker can always use discernment and think about that stuff. But, you know, in my case, I looked at it and realized, no, this was not a vaccine that was thrown together in 10 minutes. This is built on 10 years worth of preparation. This was actually started even like the vaccination program was really um, uh, President H.W. Bush, the first Bush, who recognized, wow, if we get some kind of pandemic, our vaccination system is horrific we need to work on this. And so this is really three or four different presidential administrations have moved this program along to say, yeah, if we, if we bought the syringes ahead of time, if we got the vials ahead of time, if we have the manufacturing set up and, you know, there's things we could do so that once we create a vaccine for whatever disease, we don't even know what the disease is. We don't even know what the vaccine is we can create the infrastructure that will allow us to bring this to market much, you know, a, a, a many times quicker. That's been done since the, the first Bush administration. So I was very confident and eager to take the vaccine because I'm a high risk profile. So 
it was, and I had COVID. I had COVID last year and I had a horrible case. I was one of those long haulers you hear about. So I was, I had really studied this, right? So I, but again, someone else could study that and decide, well, I don't want to take the mRNA vaccine. I would rather do the J&J one. Okay. Or, hey, you know, the research isn't really there that maybe kids should take it yet because they're still developing their body and their mind. Okay, I get but when you start telling me about the 5G towers and the microchips from Bill Gates and he's going to enslave society and whatever, then I say, okay, I think you, I think you need to back away from the crack pipe. Right. You need to get out of the data sphere and turn off a certain channel that's giving you that information. Yeah. This has been a wonderful conversation, Randy, and I know that we could talk for several hours on this, but we won't. Tell our viewer about the name of your book, where they can get the book, how they can get more information about what you offer in the way of services, products, books, etc. So the book, the new book is Radical Rebirth. And uh, if you go to randygage.com, that's my kind of Starfleet command site. You can find all my books, podcasts social media links, uh, blog, all of that stuff. I do blog a couple of times a week, Power Prosperity Podcast, a couple episodes a week. Uh, and Twitter's, you know, if you want to connect, Twitter's really where I engage with people. Um, but randygage.com. And then, of course, just Amazon for the book as well. And for those of you who are listening, Randy's name is spelled R-A-N-D-Y-G-A-G-E. So we have randygage.com. Thank you, Randy. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show and to be able to share some thoughts about how we can change our lives and recognize the influences that are all around us and are programming us and how we can take a step away from those negative aspects that are influencing us. And for you who's been with us, please be sure to tell other people about Writing to Get Business. We do interviews every week and bring in speakers like you've just heard who talk about how they put their books together and how those books fit within their philosophy and their business. Thanks so much. This is Pat Iyer with Lindley Baker. Lindley is a person who just finished writing her book. Lindley, what were some of the key things that we covered in your show for writing to get business? One was overcoming the fear of writing a book. I am a numbers person and a book is full of words and not numbers. And so we talked about how I set weekly goals, how I tracked it on an Excel spreadsheet, Excel being one thing that mathematicians love. And as I saw it gradually fill up, I, I gained more confidence and eventually my fear subsided. We talked about my virtual launch party, which is going to happen before this airs and it will introduce my, my friends and associates to the people in the book, to the story behind the book, story in the book, and hopefully get them all excited about about the concepts. My book is about dreams, life dreams, and finding them, reaching them, 
getting over fear, leveraging hope and things like that. So I'm hoping this is a, a topic that will appeal to the people who come to the party. And one of the gifts I have for as a door prize at the party is a quote deck. And we talked about that on the podcast. What is a quote deck and, and how can you use that in your business? All right, be sure to listen to Lindley Baker's podcast as she talks about her book, uh, the title of the book, Lindley, can you hold it up to the camera again and say it out loud for our audio listeners? Don't, Don't be afraid. afraid to do what you really want to do. Reach all your life dreams. Very nice. All right. Thank you so much, Lindley. And thank you to you as the viewer. Be sure to get Lindley Baker's podcast. You're going to be inspired by what Lindley has gone through to build a career, take a long break from her career, come back and write a book. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.